This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. It's down to six, the number of games that Manchester City need to win in the Premier League to become the first team to win back-to-back titles in a decade. It sounds so simple when you put it like that, and perhaps it is simple, as we saw Pep Guardiola's side put in two very professional displays this week. But now is the time where the distractions begin to creep in and the attention turns back to the Cups. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we'll be analysing the talking points from City's two 2-0 wins this week, and we'll be looking at the next steps in the journey towards an unprecedented quadruple. Can City do it? You bet they can. But we Will they do it? That's another matter altogether. Later in the show, we'll also be hearing from historian and writer Gary James on the role that Bert Trautman played at City ahead of the release of the new film The Keeper, and Howard Hawkins looking at the reasons why Benjamin Mendy is in the headlines once again. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio, I have two City fans in the shape of Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And Adam Keyworth. Hello. So then... Uh, Two games uh, to, to review, we'll, we'll kind of lump them together because they were two, like I said in the opener there, two very professional performances, I thought. Um, they weren't really that hell for leather, were they? That's the best thing about them, I think. I think if you'd have asked us this question 18 games ago, um, we did what we did, especially at Fulham, I think, where the first half we went all guns blazing. We couldn't quite get the second and third goal quick enough, but in the second half to be able to just kind of switch off and just tone it down, reserve all the energy. And we did the same against Fulham. And that's what I think we need, especially at this point of the season. I'm mm. very happy with 2-0. Two, two oh, absolutely. It was, uh, it was nothing but comfortable, was it? It was controlled. No. It was like an apex predator taking easy prey. Do you know what I mean? No, not not really. You might Pick, have to explain that a bit more. Yeah, well, you know, rather, it wasn't, there was no, it wasn't overly... We weren't overly exerting where we were going through the gears. It was very, like you say, comfortable, controlled. Silver was quite able to just pull the strings. Um, and, yeah, we made it look easy. It's not easy, but we made it look that, easy. That's probably the best thing as well, that we, we're making this look easy. And it's we're, we're a Premier League side playing another Premier League side. And it just, the level, the, the difference in level and standard apart, is staggering now. But in the last two games, we've conceded one shot on target. That was against Cardiff, but in the Fulham game, zero shots on target. Edison quite literally had nothing to do. So how key then were is the fact that City scored early in both of these games? Because I, you think to, to tight games earlier in the season, it was, you know, think of West Ham, for instance. The nerves start creeping in when the when the game goes on a bit longer. Mm. The fact that City were 2-0 up in each of these games by half-time, you kind of go, right, well, that's, that's it, job done. Yeah, pretty much hypnotised the opposition with that. Metronome of yeah. the team at the minute, aren't we? You are completely under our spell. Yeah, you're it, one down. What are you going to do about it? You're going to try and stretch play. No, you're going to go two down. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they're in an invidious position, aren't they? There because they need to either overstretch themselves and get picked off, or carry on doing what they're doing, which is getting worn down, picked apart, tired out, and like ultimately concede again. Yeah, we're turning down the tension, aren't we, in the stadium, which is probably important at this time of the season. Because even I went into the game last night thinking, oh, this this has got complacent banana skin all all over it. And the fact that they came out how they have. Mm. And I think over for the six games before the last two, we've looked a bit slow at mm. the start of the games. These last two games, we've fully, fully come out firing. And we're, 
we're almost knocking teams out of the stride as soon as the they've kicked off. So these teams will set up in a way that they think we can probably be try able, and contain it. A we bit, can yeah. try for now, but we're coming out so strong that as soon as we pick them off once, we might not score, but in their heads they're they're already gone. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote about this in 2014 in the title race, and I'm seeing it crop up again this year about uh, the difference kind of between the approach of City and Liverpool. I remember in 2014 the big thing was okay, it was different because Liverpool were leading the table for 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 at this stage and for so much longer because of City's games in hand. But there was there was a feeling that City fans were, were consistently biting the nails, looking for the moments it was going to go wrong. Yeah. While the, on the other side of the fence, Liverpool fans were cheering the team into Anfield and, and really kind of you know, giving mm. that vociferous backing. And you're thinking, actually, maybe that's not helping them. No, I I genuinely think there's a there's an arrogance not about the fans about the team at the minute. They they know more than we do that they've got so many gears to go through. About City, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I genuinely think they're playing at a very low level for what they think they can achieve now. Well, they know what's to come. They know they're going to have to... Well, they're playing within themselves, aren't they? Exactly. And I think the, the likes of Spurs and ultimately Liverpool may also be thinking they've not even, they're not even putting any effort in. At the minute. Obviously, they put putting enough effort in to win the games. But we've seen Liverpool have have almost struggled to these smaller wins. We're not going to see, I don't think, City or Liverpool put five past anyone now. I just don't think we're in that stage of the season. But the difference in City and Liverpool, if we're going to go to that, is Liverpool are almost stumbling to these wins. Like Look at their win at Fulham and look at ours. They, they almost went through a patch where they're only going to get a point and then stumbled over the line. And people are saying, oh, they're getting a lot of luck and they're getting these late winners. They can have that. If we're going to go and put two past aside, drop off and be safe. And the other thing that doesn't get mentioned is defensively, we're, we're so solid at the minute. So solid. The fact that we're not conceding shots is just mind-blowing. It's kind of like a countdown now. You know, we, from, the, from the international break, it was no mistakes in eight games, we've won the league. No mistakes mm. in seven games, we've won the league. It's now no mistakes in six games. And six games, it's not actually that much, of, not that long a run. It's, I want it over. Yeah. It's got to the point where because it's of the horrible, other, I it? think it's because of the other, other distractions, you're not really able to start planning for the next well, the next league games. Is it Tottenham? It's Tottenham after uh, no Crystal Palace. Palace sorry, so uh, in before, between all of the Tottenham games, yeah. But you can't even think about that at the moment, and that's what's weird. And I just want that. It's not pressure or it's it's just nerves, isn't it? Yeah, but, it's a constant cut sort of anxiety playing on your mind, you, isn't it? You're waiting for the other to slip up. That's the the scenario that Who's going to blink first? Who will blink first? And do you know what? I absolutely hate this bottling thing now. If neither side blinks, though, City, City finish it. on, what, 98 points, 98, 97 points? 98. And Liverpool finish on 97. Yeah, which, it's, which is ridiculous. So there's no neither team now are bottling it. Whatever happens, to their credit, they're playing at such a high level. And if they don't win the league, then... It's just extraordinary because any other side is winning the league on the points that they'll probably end up on. But it just shows how strong we are. Mm. Especially, like you said, we'll be the first to win it back-to-back. In a decade. Yeah. Such a, the contrasting styles, though, they're really heavily reliant on the front three, aren't they, for goals. Mm. And Salah isn't... Oh, I don't want to jinx the situation. I'm not superstitious, but... I'm not superstitious, but I don't want to jinx it. What? I know, yeah. Well, obviously, I, I don't want to be superstitious, but... But I am going to be. You, you yeah, also yeah. don't want this soundbite in case he scores exactly. 12 goals in <laughs> so, six games. But he seems to be on a bit of a... I don't know. He seems to be shooting when he shouldn't shoot and not, you know... But they're over-reliant on those three. You don't really expect 
many goals out of their midfield, but we're kind of popping up. Uh, we tend to pop up all over the shop, don't we? For goals. Yeah. City are on the helpful. Chris City are on the longest winning run in the Premier League this season. Their longest winning run in the Premier League this season of eight games. Mm. It would be a, a run of fourteen if they got um, to the end of the season and won everything. Mm. Can they do it? Absolutely. I mean, we we a side that breaks records for fun. So absolutely, we can do it. Whether we will, I don't know, but it's unequivocal. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, we we we've done it before. We've we've won fourteen on the bounce before. Aguero, City lost him to injury against Fulham, and then it wasn't really it didn't really think it was that serious. And then he wasn't available for for Cardiff, but will likely play at the weekend or might be on the bench this weekend. Do you, I don't think he'll play. Do, no. do, you, do you think they lost a little bit of their impetus when Aguero was uh, was forced off? No, not really. I, I, if you look at the Cardiff game, we didn't play with either of the Silvers, Sterling or Aguero, and it was still comfortable. Mm. Jesus doesn't offer what Aguero does, but his hold-up play is phenomenal for the midfielders. But every time he gets the ball with his back to goal, it, it looks safe, and he's he's now finding the passes that are good. I mean, his chest down to Sane against oh, Cardiff. His finishing has been poor. Like, there's no real getting around it. Is finishing, but we're comparing him to Aguero. This is it. I don't think uh, you take Aguero off, we can still have the same rhythm, but the fact that you've not got Sergio Aguero on yeah. the pitch is always going to be not as good as having Sergio Aguero on the pitch because I don't think we'll ever see his like again. He's an absolutely phenomenal mm. footballer. He's like one of the best in the world. Jesus seems one of those players that needs a goal. He's going to be so important if we're going to try and try and go for all four trophies we're going to need his goals it's because... the confidence isn't it but you can see the other players appreciate him you see what Sane did yeah. he ran straight over to him pointed at yeah. him recognition not just so he knows because I was going to tell him but it's almost like so everybody can see yeah, so yeah, everybody can yeah. see that it was him and that they appreciate him and that you know you need to as well as in yeah. get the crowd on and, board yeah and I don't think the crowd are actually on his back no I don't think they're on his back but... and, and it's the worst thing to say about a footballer when you say he works hard for the team but he does he does and that's why Pep likes him I think the biggest uh, critic of him last night was probably De Bruyne well, yeah. I, want, I want to talk about De Bruyne actually. he kicked off didn't he Did yeah. he wasn't happy with him was he I want to talk about De Bruyne because you know he's he's not had a great season he's been injured for the vast majority of it and he'll he'll look back at this season and think you know what it's it's not been it's not been a great year for me just for that that, that kind of massive bad luck that I've had all the way through it. He's getting back into it, though, isn't he? He's back mm. in the swing of things. He looked electric against Cardiff. Yeah, he looks at the peak of his powers, doesn't he? He didn't want to stop running. There was a chance where he missed, and rather than stop, turn round and jog back, he just carried on running around the back of the goal as if to, ah, I will carry on running. I am just an absolute <laughs> monster. He seemed to, to be playing in a, in a strange, stranger position for him against Cardiff. He was almost playing off the left. Mm. Which was which I quite enjoyed. He, they'd obviously targeted that right back for Cardiff and went at, went double at him, up on him the, a bit. The amount of crosses he put in with his left foot was was interesting. And he he could have had three or four assists if the finishing was there or if their goalkeeper wasn't as as great as he was. Made a blinder, good, didn't he? Yeah, made a few good saves. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, this is what Pep Guardiola had to say to the press after the win over Cardiff. Everyone was. Uh... We're in a high, high level, so of course, Kevin, uh, we miss him. The results maybe don't say that, but we miss him. He's an important player for us, and today, especially in the first half, in the first 10, 50, 20 minutes, make incredible movements and uh, and feel we knew it. So he's a stable player, he's so young, but even even though he's a young player, he's 
He's able to do everything. So every game creates chances. And he fought a lot. He's incredible in his receptions and the vision. But at the same time, it's not easy for him, you know, play with David Silva position, with Kevin De Bruyne position, with Gundogan, with Bernardo Silva. But his passion and he want to be here. He was delighted to be here. And of course, this season play a lot of minutes. And I assure you, next season going to play more minutes than we played this season. And that is the process. Pep, what's the extent of the injury to uh, Zinchenko? Don't look good. Right now, I don't know it. We wait tomorrow after tomorrow, but don't look good for the next games. With with Fabian Delph out as well, he's out. You've got a problem at left back. Does, yeah, does that def- mean, definitely. Does that mean Benjamin Mendy comes into the? We'll see tomorrow. How does he feels? How does he trains? Yeah, we don't have many options. How disappointing is it for you to lose Zinchenko because he's been playing so well for you? Yeah, season? a lot. He knows the mechanisms. He knows the way he want to play. During the season, it's happened these kind of things. He play a lot of minutes, and this happened. Accept it, and we're going to find a solution. I don't know right now which one, because Danilo fought a lot to play in that position, and he appreciated a lot, but it's not his natural position. He fought for his foot, you know. We will see the decision we're going to take for the final, semi-final. Sorry, the, the FA Cup. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game against Cardiff. A big part of that was uh, the thoughts that Zinchenko might not uh, be available for the rest of the season. They're not really sure yet. I mean, what's what's your reaction to that, Chris? Gutted for him. Um, he's become really important. He's obviously very popular. He does his job very well. Whatever you ask of him, he's versatile. Uh, big personality. Great player. Love him to bits. It's yeah. a it's a blow, isn't it? It was even the players around him looked quite upset for him last night mm. because he's one of those players you don't think's going to get injured. He because he he runs as if he can turn and sharp. He can turn sharply, and you don't you don't worry. Whereas some players, you think, oh, is, is he overextended? Don't stretch, don't stretch. And yeah. when he he well, he tried running it off, which was probably a silly thing to do, and then eventually went down. But we've. It's weird. The last couple of seasons, we've relied on backup left-backs. Delph came in at the end last season. I was going to ask, what, job. what do you think Sinchenko's future is? I mean, not, not notwithstanding the injury, because, um, I mean, if he if he doesn't play again this season, he's not going in the summer. He's signed a new deal and he's going to be a five-year job, I believe. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not a left-back, but on form, he's City's best left-back. <laughs> yeah, which is utterly bizarre. What do you say he's not a left-back? He's playing well at left-back. So when he's doing that, he's a left back. People don't always, you know, finish their careers in the positions they started, do they? Especially under Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Exactly. So he, well, he played for the Ukraine in the international break as a like a deep line midfielder, and then played a little bit further forward for the Ukraine in central midfield. So it's a bit like um, Alaba, a bit like Lam when Pep moved Lam central, and Alaba could play both, mm. and he. Fabian Delph's been good for us. He's He's been solid enough when we've needed him. Sinchenko is a better utility player than Fabian Delph. Mm. Um, I mean, Delph has been a little bit poor compared to his yeah. exploits last season. But going back to, I mean, Vincent Company, we signed him as a midfielder, didn't we? From Yeah, Hamburg. From Very Hamburg, true. thank you. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, you'd look at him now and it's like, well, obviously, he's centre-half, isn't he? All his life, but no. So, yeah, yeah I can... Uh, and see him moving he, around a bit. Yeah. Zinchenko can no longer just do a job at left back. He he looks assured. 
and you rely on him now because, uh, to be honest, there were times when he first started playing left-back where you, you could let him off for making the odd mistake defensively. One thing people forget about him is he's very good in the air. Uh, mm. Against Chelsea... He's no Antoine Sibierski. No, the <laughs> 50p. But, but who is? So. Um, but he, he won a lot of headers against Gonzalo Higuain, which is bizarre mm. at Wembley. So he's he's great, and he's going to be around for, for a long time, you'd hope. Going back to the original question, is he our best left-back? Well, yes, because he's currently our only playing left-back. Delph's injured, and we don't really know what's going on with Delph. He seems to be injured and then training and then not around the squad. Not caught a bug, has he? And then the Mendy exploits. Who knows? Who knows so. what's going on there? Um, we're we're going to come back to that a bit later on. Uh, but first, Phil Foden. Um, how I mean, how surprised were you to see him on the on the starting lineup? Surprised in that he hasn't been a nice surprise. But then again, yeah, I was su- I was surprised that he hasn't been thus far. So because he hasn't, I was surprised. But you know, he's he's more than worth it. Uh, I just thought he was an absolute dream last night. Not just what he did well with the ball, but just the way he sort of held himself off the ball. I was sort of looking at him thinking, yeah, he's he's ready. He understands it, doesn't yeah, he? He understands yeah. where he needs to be and what he needs to do. And yeah. I mean, it's. I suppose it's a big marker that, that Adam, I said to you before we came on, uh, oh, we'll talk about Phil Foden, he went, oh, I yeah. forgot he played. Yeah, exactly. So... And there are other players that played last night that I forgot played, which just goes to show that he was so comfortable that, yeah, and to be honest, he was one of our bigger threats, especially in the second half. He was just getting shots off for fun. Hit post as well. He's definitely been learning off David Silva with the drop of the shoulder. I noticed that last night where he was picking the ball up with his back to goal and he's got the little shimmy and the turn. And he turned uh, their central midfielder twice. He got uh, two defenders booked because he turned them and they had to chase and bring him down. So, yeah, he looks assured and he's a lot stronger than I thought and or remember. So, like Pep said, he he will be around and he will make it. There's absolutely no... Oh, I... There's no question. And I'm, You can see him learning just moment by moment, can't you? And he, he wants to, which is the bit... And the fans will back him to the hilt, which is nice for us City fans. <laughs> we, we're not very good at that. And we'll give him enough time. And it it was a pleasant surprise. I, I thought, like Chris said, there were other games this season where he probably should have. But who are we to say? We're not Pep. Yeah. He, we thought he should have started. But you've got to kind of break those players in as much as they want to play more. You've, you're up against David and Bernardo Silva. So when you get your chance, take it. And he did last night. He was very unfortunate not to score. I'd have really wanted him to score. Yeah. Final word uh, for the uh, Cardiff game uh, to Edison because uh, it was a very important save in the in the closing stages. Um, although Kyle Walker did great defensively, he seemed to have his own XG map in his head or something like that. I thought. <laughs> um, but uh, but Edison pulled off a, a fantastic save in the uh, in the aftermath. He's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. There is absolutely no question. The fact, only because there are goalkeepers who make more saves more often, he has absolutely nothing to do in so many games, and very late on, does that? He does that. He'll make a great save. That's that's the best thing you can say about goalkeeper because concentration is often a thing that scuppers goalkeepers. They'll they'll go through a game without conceding a chance, and then all of a sudden they're a bit rusty. But he's He's wonderful. He made forever. that save look routine as well, didn't he last last night? And nobody looked worried. It it was kind of like yeah, I was fine. worried. Don't worry, I was worried. <laughs> Goalkeepers union there, that yeah. isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't have made that save, but then again, I I Maybe. don't make that many, so uh... I probably would have made the mistake Walker made though. So. <laughs> yeah, he took a weird little tumble there, didn't he? 
One thing that I found absolutely brilliant after the game was Warnock said, "Oh, and who knows what would have happened if we'd have, if we'd have taken that chance?" Probably lost two one. <laughs> yeah, I just thought. Yeah. Or angered us and lost four one. Yeah, yeah you, you never know, do you? You just dream on. Yeah. Right, well, on last week's Blue Moon podcast, we heard from one of the stars of the new movie about the legendary goalkeeper, Bert Trautmann. The keeper is out in cinemas on Friday and tells the story of how the Germans settled into life in England so quickly after the end of the Second World War. I've been speaking to historian Gary James, who is a consultant on the movie, to find out more about the late city great. Goalkeepers get remembered quite often because they stand out. But Bert was better than, than every goalkeeper, really. I mean, he, he was an incredible, legendary figure. And... People might know him because he was uh, an ex-prisoner of war, or a member of the Italy youth as a child or whatever, or they might know him because he broke his neck. But there are so many aspects to his life that it's, incred- it's impossible to get it all into a film. It's impossible for anyone to know everything that happened. Um, but it's such a remarkable story, whichever angle you take. How, I mean, when you, when you look at his story, where do you even start sometimes? I mean, there's, there's so much in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me... My, my own personal starting point was the first time I was aware of him. And I was a, a six-year-old boy, sat behind the goal at Main Road, um, a testimonial, testimonial match for Johnny Hart, and suddenly the crowd goes mad. I, and I don't mean with a bit of applause and we all stand up. I mean, everybody stands up, everybody starts cheering, everybody goes crazy. And my dad, who never showed any emotion really, does the same thing, right? And I'm there as this young boy and I'm thinking, what's going on? And what had happened was that Bert was replacing Joe Corrigan in this. Must have been prearranged, I don't know. And then Joe goes and sits on the sidelines and watches Bert every minute he's on the pitch. And everything he did was incredible, really. You know, people applauding and so on. And for me, that was the first time I was ever aware of him. And then all these years later, you know, I got to meet him quite a few times over the years. I got to interview him. Um, And quite often with a legendary figure, when you meet them, when you interview them, as I'm sure you all know, they're not what you wanted them to be. Bert was everything I wanted him to be and more. You know, he had this aura about him, this status, and he was a true, true legend. And we say legend about lots of keepers and lots of players and so on, but this guy was. You know, he was so brave as a footballer and as a human being, um, but as a legend, he was just incredible. When you when you talk to him and when you interviewed him, I, I, the, the question I was going to ask is, is what was he like? Because on a human level, we talk we see we don't see footballers on a human level. He was very proud of what he'd achieved. He was keen to ensure that people understood that footballers from that era were perhaps not treated as well as they could have been. He had he had strong views about the money footballers were on and on the way football clubs treated them, which I think is is amazing um, and. Fair to be funny, fair, fair, fair to be honest, because he, he, he was right in all of that. Um, there was a warmth about him. He, it was clear that he cared a great deal about ordinary people. He saw himself as an ordinary person who just happened to be in extraordinary circumstance, whether that was his effort in the war or whether that was as a player for Manchester City. But yeah, there's just this warmth and this, you know, if. I wrote to him a few times, I spoke to him a few times, I met him. Um, he never turned me down, never said no, never said I'm too busy. You know, you go and interview someone and quite often you say you've got 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever. You could have spent hours with him and he'd have answered whatever question you wanted. He'd just turn up to things, he'd just do stuff and he was, he was, he was superb. How much of this film is dramatisation and how much of it is, is accurate to what happened? 
well, um, it's impossible for me to talk about his war experiences because I, I don't really know that. But in terms of football, well, he did break his neck. You know, he did play for City. There were some protests when he signed for City. I mean, one thing that, that gets exaggerated over the years is the number of people who demonstrated against him. And Bert, Bert loved to tell the story. Um, so when he was playing for City, when he talked about it, a few people sent back their season tickets and there were a few protests. And that's true, there were definitely protests and there were definitely people fighting in pubs, arguing about him and so on. By the time we get to, the, say, say, the late 1970s, there were 10,000 people demonstrating. By the time we get to 80s, 20,000, and unfortunately, by the time he, he passed away, 30,000 people marched on Main Road. That didn't happen. That's not in the film. There are protests in the film, and there were protests. Um, but one thing that strikes me, people say, hey, all City fans boycotted the club, and they didn't. Well, some may have done, but crowds actually went up. Once he signed for City and started playing the first team, attendances actually did go up. Um, to kind of like come and see the German guy. And well, it could have been, yeah, it could have been the sort of freak show nature of it, if you like, that suddenly we've got this person we're supposed to hate, let's see what he's like. But then that doesn't last for long, does it? That's one or two games. What then carries on is, let's go and see this guy because he's good. And to, to, to be welcomed, to be supported, to become a hero before the cup finals, before any of that, it was remarkable, you know. He, he deliberately went out there and met Mancunians, he went to supporters meetings, he went and talked to people. He didn't hide, he wanted people to see him and he wanted to understand their concerns about him and I think that, that says a great deal, you know, a great deal about him. I wanted to ask about him, I mean, you touched on it briefly there as well, but I, I remember speaking to Uwe Rosler about being one of the first Germans to come over after the war and, and when you think about when Rosler came over, the, the, the time that had been there, you know, that we're talking only a matter of years that where, where Trollman's in, in, playing in England after the war. It was an incredible gamble by City. I mean, I think this gets underestimated, how desperate City were for a keeper, because Frank Swift, the great England international, had retired. The replacement became ill, and eventually he died, actually, of tuberculosis, um, Alec Furlow. And then the other players, there's uh, two goalkeepers called Powell, neither of them were good enough for the football league really and so City were in a desperate state they convinced Swift to come out of retirement but Swift said look six games that's the most I'm going to do six games and so City had to find a goalkeeper in those weeks and they found Bert and he played in reserves and some flack started to come and some people started to protest and so on and then he played in the first team the real protest came when he played at away grounds that's where he got most abuse um, but he went from being this figure of hate representing all that was bad about Germany, if you like, to being this hero in weeks, really. I mean, it really was weeks for City fans. What also, which perhaps none of us appreciate, is the journey he himself had gone through, because he had been totally indoctrinated. He was, he was a young child growing up in Nazi Germany when he was told all of what he was told um, and being a, a sportsman, being somebody who was keen to, to represent his country at the Olympics, that's what he wanted to do initially, um, he obviously believed everything that he'd been told. Suddenly he's in England and starts to find out, well, actually, a lot of this isn't true. Things are different. The British are not what I was told they were. The, the Jewish people are not what I was told they were. And so he's, he's still learning all of that when he's actually playing for City. He's still going through those emotions. You know, he made his debut four years after the war had finished. That's all, four years. Can you imagine if we're now, all these years after the um, Iraq wars, could you imagine if we now gave a, a debut to somebody who was perceived as the enemy then? 
I mean, there'd still be pro- there would definitely be protests. There'd be people saying it's too soon. There'd be all sorts of issues. But yet, here we were, 1940s Manchester, which had suffered, giving a debut to this guy who, who had been the enemy, and then he became the hero. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Gary James speaking to me there. Now, don't forget, tickets are still available for Gary's talk on the history of Manchester City at the club's 125th anniversary. It's at the Dance House Theatre in Manchester next Thursday, the 11th of April, and there's more information on thedancehouse.co.uk. Uh, it's time to look ahead now to games with Brighton and Tottenham. We'll start off with uh, with the game against Brighton, the semi-final uh, this weekend. Um, I suppose that the first question, and... I don't want to. I don't want to kind of lead anybody down a garden path here. But can you call yourself a City fan if you can if you can afford to go to this game, but you choose not to? Chris. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, wow. I'm not going to the game. Um, I could probably at a fush, at a fush, afford it. At a push, afford, afford it. it. But I mean, you can't. I can't justify like. Going to every, I'd love to have. Uh, I mean, would I? If I was able to go to every single game, it would be because I didn't have anything else to to sort of balance in my life. Um, I mean, what, what I'm getting at here is is the furore over the fact that City haven't sold the tickets. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'd love again, to go to every single game. I'm gonna hold my hands up here and say I could afford to go. I'm not going. I I can afford to go, and I'm going. But only because I'm tying it into other plans. Mm. If and this this is what's really irked me. Um, I don't even want to go there. But Dean Saunders, we know he's just winding people up, saying that oh, City were in League One recently. Yeah, if that was twenty years ago for one year. The issue City fans have got is we've now got to prioritise. We we in this room never expected to be in four competitions, even at the start of the season. Never mind ten years ago. Never expected to be in four competitions in April. And we're now juggling two games a week, if not more. You've got to prioritise, A, your, your social life and your private life. You've got to, you've got to go to work. Yeah, It's annoying and, to have to justify it in it, a way. But like. we don't. And and the I, I went off and lost the plot with a guy on Twitter. I'm not even going to name him. Um, and he said he finds it pretty mad that tickets are still available when they've got so much left to play for. That's exactly the point. Yeah, yeah. We've got to prioritise now. Some people are struggling to afford to go to home games. And the other thing that's really wound me up is fans and the press especially. The press saying fans not going to games off or they don't pay for tickets to begin with. Never mind their travel that they get on expenses. And the second thing is, like, what... All they're doing by saying this and slagging City fans off, and they do it to some other fans, but not to the same extent, is they're making it easier for clubs, for the FA, for the TV companies to continually take the mick out of us and to to rinse us for what it's worth. And someone said, yeah, the tickets for the FA Cup are only 30 quid. They're not. Some of them are. goes up to 120 for the final. If we get there, they'll go up to 160 Mm. for the top-end tickets. And in the final, when tickets are, are going to be harder to get, because obviously it's a final and that's just what what happens if you get to a cup final you're going to be more likely to go than i this is no by doing no disservice to brighton it's not the most glamorous of fixtures especially in the midst of five trips to wembley yeah. of late we've got this is our fourth trip to wembley this season already yeah. there could be another we've 
been to London. We've got another three trips to London in the next week. It entails a huge chunk of money, a huge chunk of time. It's, and if you've got kids, like it's it's enough for me to go on my own to, to Wembley. You've got the train. Yeah. You, the train's back a hit and miss. If it goes to penalties, then you're going to see screwed, empty seats you? because there's no trains after, what is it, eight, eight o'clock, something like that. So putting the half five kickoff is, is ludicrous to begin with. It's... Who are you going to blame? Mm. Don't start blaming the fans. Put it put it somewhere reasonable. Don't put it at Wembley. I mean, for instance, my girlfriend's a teacher. It's Easter this week. Yeah. I'm looking to go away for a spell in Easter. I'm already looking at the fixtures list because I've you know got a season ticket. I don't want to miss a home game, which is you know not the easiest thing to say when you're trying to. It's not the most romantic way to plan a break away. Yeah, we, we can't go away this month, this week, love, because I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm going to City. Yeah, because uh, I'm been betrothed to City since before I met you and you have to because otherwise this kid from Liverpool on Twitter is going to slag you oh yeah <laughs> you've, you've, no you've actually gone to the game as MTC whatever mate um, so I mean we're going away this weekend I've decided not to go to Wembley and apparently that makes me a worthy target Who? in the press or the if media no, like? if no fan turned up on Saturday who cares Genuinely, the only people who care are the ones selling tickets. No one else cares. The players would still go and play the game and hopefully win the game. It it just doesn't matter. Mm. And start pointing your fake and it's faux anger. Stop pointing it at City fans and laughing because fans can't go to the game. Why are you laughing at... If you're a football fan, why are you laughing at another fan who either can't afford or can't make time to go to a game? You're just making it worse for yourself because one day, if your club gets in this position and there's been a lot of North East fans having to go oh Sunderland's up 40,000 they haven't been four times this season exactly yeah. we, we are now becoming a victim of our own success and stop stop laughing at us because if if Newcastle were bought out and they could spend the money and is this the they, Newcastle that had however many about 13,000 and when they're in the doldrums but we but it doesn't you don't that doesn't count because the they are not successful at the moment like we are and if they ever get to this position where you're, you've already played 51 games, is it, I think it's 51 yeah, games something in that, region. that we've already played and we could still play another dozen. City have got a core support. We are in the early stages of success. We cannot bring in the day trippers and any other fans that the, the, the clubs around us can. Liverpool and United being the key examples, they can bring in anyone and sell tickets to basically anything because of the brand that they've built over the years. In 20 years, we won't have this issue. Uh, a couple of quick points on the uh, on the game on the itself. Actual, yeah. Is there a game? Uh, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a game going on. Um, VAR decisions are going to be actually shown on the screen. Only the last crucial deciding one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Bin it off. Mm, I don't know. I hate VAR. Uh, I I hate it at the moment. I kind of agree with Pep on it in that the technology's there, you should take advantage of it. It really does need some fine-tuning because at the moment it's not working in the I, way it should. I, but fans will, be, fans will be aware of what's going on now. I First of all, Anthony Taylor's the referee against Brian, just just to lay that. Oh, the famous so, Altrincham fan. Yes, the famous <laughs> Altrincham fan whose family have all been seen to go to Altrincham. Mm. Um, I... I agree with VAR in the fact that goal line technology and offsides are things that are set in stone, but the other subjective decisions, not for me. And showing it in the ground, you're just going to wind people up even more. I'm already getting wound up at the thought of it. Mm. At the thought of um, Jesus being through on goal and it hits his arm and we have to watch that on the screen. No, not for me. Not for me. And this, they'll still get things wrong. 
fair enough. The, yeah, the, unfortunately, the technology has human beings and their sub- subjective <laughs> exactly viewpoints uh, at the helm. Like, I, I can't help but agree with, and I don't say this very often, Neil Warnock and his views no. of some referees in that they don't seem to, you know, it's like, does this guy played football? Like, well, how can he have come to that decision? Yeah. Those handball decisions. Yeah, VAR ones where they yeah. don't realise that speed when it's not slowed down. Yeah, and but it's, they have been consistent. That's all I'll say for it. It's they been, have it's been wrong consistent. All right. Yeah, um, Brighton don't tend to concede that many goals, um, so it might not be the walkover that a few City fans might be expecting this game. It's a little nervy one for me. Yeah, Brighton in general, in that it's not a very glamorous FA Cup tie, but for them, to be fair, I think we're a little bit lucky in the fact that they're not quite safe yet, but. To them, the cause of this is... It's this, a one-off game, isn't it? It's, it's a one-off. So, it's, it's a free hit for them. No pressure for them. They, they can come and smash and grab it as much as they want. And we can't be complacent. And it still worries me, but I know that Pep is the just like ultra against it. But we have been complacent in the past and we were all probably there for the weekend game. Mm. We've seen it. We've seen it at Wembley where we went into that game thinking, all right, I'll meet you in the pub after. We'll go for a pint and... Celebrate yeah. the success. Yeah, yeah. And oh dear. Ben Watson happened and the rain came down. So And Wigan was it last season or yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, every, it's every season since time began. Yeah. <laughs> every cliche under the sun uh is relevant for, for Saturday. And the players we trust them now. They they'll go into this game, they'll be professional. Should win. They'll be professional. They'll know that that Brighton will probably cause us a bit of trouble because it, it's a cup game and they've got nothing to lose. They're not playing for a draw. Did, is Glenn Murray fit for that? I haven't seen anything saying he's not fit. So I assume he is. Could be wrong. Yeah. Dangerous. They'll try and get a few set pieces, won't they? A uh, lot of respect for Chris Hutton. Yeah, he's done a good job, he'll, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He'll set them up. Uh, he'll set them up well. And if they can nick one, then you know if they keep us out for the first half hour and they nick one, it's going to be pretty. We, yeah, we pretty need. Yeah, interesting. We, we yeah. need to do what we've done recently. Get the early goal. Take the pressure out of the fans and off the players. Put the pressure onto Brighton, and then if they, like Chris said earlier, if they want to stretch us, come and do it. So then, after the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday, City travelled to Tottenham to uh, to play the first leg of the Champions League tie. I'm delighted to say we're now joined by Flav from the Fighting Cock Podcast. Flav, welcome to the program. Um, first things first, it's uh, it's a new home for Spurs this season. What's it like at the new White Hart Lane now? Oh, it's incredible. It's it's like it's, it's it's been such a long time coming. Um, you know, we've been at Wembley for 18 months. And it, even if we'd moved in from White Hart Lane to the new White Hart Lane, it, it would still be incredible. But because we've had that hiatus, it's, I can't, it, it's so hard to describe. I mean, I guess you guys had it when, when you moved to the Etihad from uh, Main Road. But it, it, it's, it's like, I don't know how they've managed to create it, it for it to feel exactly like White Hart Lane, but it's like it's on steroids. It's... Um, <laughs> It's a, a wonderful, wonderful state that stadium, and as much as there's been issues around it, and it's been a nightmare playing at Wembley, um, to go back home and, and to win as we did last night, um, it was it was it was everything really. It was incredible. The only the only terrible part of it was the opening ceremony, was which is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Well, uh, I was going to say that you guys have seen you you were there for the move from Main Road to to the Etihad. What yeah. uh, what what was that like? When, when you think back to that time, I, re- I remember City struggling in that first year at the Etihad. Well, there was a lot of displacement of, of fans and it, the, to the cost of the atmosphere, really, which is one of the things I do miss about Main Road here and now. Uh, to be honest, 
I suppose, yeah, it's the people, isn't it? Because you have people that you're used to being near at Main Road that weren't there. In fact, I, I had to put up with a guy behind me who used to... I used to get doused in a, an unholy drizzle of flecks of spittle and gobbets of sputum from this <laughs> horrible guy behind me, so I ended up moving seats because of it. But, uh, but yeah, it's just a weird, a weird, it's, weird it's, move. It's definitely a lot different to the Spurs move because Spurs are going home. I'm doing... Uh, Air quotes there, yeah, for the listeners at home. Spurs are going home Mm. uh, in a way where they haven't moved. It's not a new location. We had to get used to it. It was obviously a very different commute for us. Yeah, the match day routine. I always remember that as being the weird thing of my dad not driving just to Main Road and stopping at the same shops. It was getting used to new things, whereas Spurs have got the same Chick King still there. And that's that's the difference. (laughs) Um, I can't believe Chick Chick King is... um, Transcended our football club. Chick King's unbelievable. This is not a paid-for ad, but Chick King weren't they involved in the opening ceremony last night? Or did I imagine? <laughs> no, no, that would make it a bit better. I was going to say they probably the they only weren't. people who no, were. We had, we had a choir, which was fine. You know, it was about the local. It was a it was a song about the riots. Um, you know, back in 2011, that yeah. that, that kind of spread across the country. Mm. Um, but then, for some reason, I don't know who decided. That the guy from Go the Go Compare adverts would come and sing Glory Glory Hallelujah. Whoa! Uh, that happened. Just, there's an image going around of Danny Rose looking at him like he's <laughs> like 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 what the hell is going on? And I think that was the opinion of every Spurs fan in there. It was embarrassing. Can I just say at this point, I am so glad that it's not just City. That's the sort of thing City do, mm. and, and we go. Wait, I can't believe no, no, City are building this. That's and it's... even worse. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that... this, this, this is the demonstration of of um, how out of touch clubs are. Uh, in you know the people making these decisions about the will of the fans, because the vast majority of, uh, of football fans going to it are, uh, are there for the sport, not 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 the spectacle. And you know, flashing lights, fireworks is just not something that's necessary in our game and and in our footballing culture. Flav, you say that uh, that fans go for the football and not the spectacle, but I really wanted to go to the cheese room. So what <laughs> what happened to Spurs' cheese room? Because it just sounded like a dream. Is it made out of cheese? I just think all you no, could you get, get was cheese. cheese. Get cheese, don't you? just get loads of cheese, but then they canned it. Of all of the things to canned can... Canned cheese. <laughs> no, not <laughs> literally canned it. <laughs> but the, of all of the things to bin off from this ridiculous stadium, what, what happened with the cheese room? I actually want to know. Uh, so so there, was, there was never going to be a cheese room. What? Um, this is something that was picked up. It was a, it, there, was men, it was, there was a mention of it in the, fish, in, in like the merchandise that were, when they were selling uh, the corporate packages. That um, the, these people would be able to, as a part of their match day experience, to use a horrible term, um, yeah, they would get access to supreme cheeses along with everything else. Um, but there, there was never going to be a cheese room, and we had to take all of the ridicule from from fellow fans and deserve it um, that this cheese room was going to exist inside our stadium. Um, and, and, and it was never true. So the club could have done us a great favour in saying that there's no bloody cheese room. Um, but no, they, they decided not to. I suppose they had more important things to concentrate on. But yeah, inside the stadium, it's it's something else. And, and I, I like I liked White Hart Lane because it was just poured concrete, horrible beer. Couldn't get a beer. Like I, I kind of I'm, I'm very nostalgic about the old way of football. But I went in there last night, and I've got to be I, I was blown away by it. It was. I mean, you'll see. I don't know what the away end's like, but you'll see, if it's anything like the home end, which I hope it isn't. Like, I hope, I hope you go there and there's nothing there. But it, it, <laughs> squalid. Yeah, squalid. Like, um, um, you know, steps aren't the right size, so you might trip over. You've just left the, the, the old White Hart Lane 
as it was in yeah. the away end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, but it's incredible, and and if you boys are going down there next Tuesday, then, uh, what is it Wednesday or Tuesday? That, um, that you you should enjoy it because it's a, it is an amazing stadium. I want to, uh, I, I mean, it's a, a, as much as we're, I'm sure we could talk about new stadiums all day. There is actually a game to talk about as well. Um, ahead of the uh, the Champions League tie, first off, I just want to ask you, Chris, uh, when the when the name came out of the uh, the hat, City against Spurs, how were you feeling? Um, I was actually all right about it. I thought, well, you know, it's. I felt. You feel like, oh well. I mean, at the moment, City, without wishing to, you know, sound big-headed or anything, you feel like we're capable of beating anybody. But you would prefer a team from where you know the players and you think you've got the number on them. But they're a good team, aren't they? And to play them three times in such short succession, it's a big ask. And it's familiarity, isn't it? That yeah. we. And the the fact that we're playing Spurs three times is just not it's not a good thing for that familiarity because the teams are going to have to and the managers are going to have to change the way that they play because this you can't play one way in the first game and try and do it twice more in the next two weeks because you've already found found out weaknesses from the first time mm. so it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a battle I think between Pep and Poch more so than than usual. Flev, do you think it'll be an advantage for Spurs to to have the, the the first leg at the new White Hart Line? I don't think there's any advantage for playing Man City, um, and I'm surprised that you guys have got even uh, a modicum of concern around it. Um, I, I think out of all the, as much as I rate Tottenham, and 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 as good as we can be on our day, and I think we will cause you problems over the the next three games. I'd rather be playing anyone else. Than Man City, honestly, I'd rather have Liverpool. I'd rather have Barcelona. I think Man City are the best team in Europe, and I think you will win the Champions League. I don't think we're going through, as and um, you know, and I don't think there's no surprise in saying that. Um, there's an advantage in having the first leg at Wyatt Lane because we're on our home ground. Um, the atmosphere is going to be with us. Everyone will be up for it, and it means that hopefully, fingers crossed, there'll be something to play for in the second leg. I think if the first the first leg was at your place. As much as there is an advantage, seemingly, of playing your home leg second, it could be out of sight before we even get back home. But, you know, we have got good players, mo- mostly fit. You know, we, we don't have any major injury concerns. And um, we, we will cause you problems. But if I'm being completely honest, I think there were more difficult draws for you than, than Tottenham. I was going to say the the guys in the studio are are a little bit concerned about the game, but then I, I look at at Spurs' form recently, and the the Wednesday win over Palace <laughs> makes it uh, two wins in seven games. Where's where's the good form gone? Um, I want to say I, I want to say luck. Uh, I, I think so much about football. I know it's, it's a massive cliche. The game's about inches. It's a game of inches. You know, one deflection and, and you can score a goal, and, and one you concede one, and um, We've we've been playing well, but just not been getting the results. Uh, even even Chelsea when they beat us, um, we we didn't deserve it. We 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 were a better team over ninety minutes against Liverpool. We were a better team over ninety minutes, and mm. everyone knows how difficult Liverpool are to beat and and play well against at Anfield. And part barring their opening twenty minute salvo, we controlled the game to go up there and control it and should have won. Like, I don't know if you saw the highlights or watched the game, watched but the we game. had an excellent opportunity with Ericsson where it dropped to him. Another game, we would have smashed it in, and the the, the chance that fell to Sissoko when he raced through. Oh. I mean, to be fair, he wouldn't have scored that fifty times in fifty. Um, <laughs> I that, don't want to talk about it. 
but the opportunities were there is what I'm saying. So we have been playing well, but the results haven't been going our way. It feels a lot like the pressure is almost off Spurs, from, especially from the Spurs fans. If Obviously, getting City is just not a draw people want anymore. And when we, when no. we drew Spurs, I did think there was probably a couple of tougher draws, but... It's still a tough, a tough tie. I don't, think, I don't think it's an easy tie. At no, all. no. But is the pressure now fully on City? I think between us, we'd probably agree. I could see us stumbling, certainly in the at least in the in the, the away home, leg. Yeah, yeah. Their home leg. Yeah. Guys, can I ask you a question? Is this kind of perceived humility or lack of uh, confidence a kind of hangover from what City was? Because I, I have that with Spurs at the moment. I don't <laughs> think it's the City past past. I think it's the recent past. And right. we've been in positions now where even last season against Liverpool, where we, we've kind of been on the cusp, especially in Europe, and then we've kicked ourselves in the teeth and managed to stumble out of Europe. And us getting a favourable draw, I think, as City fans, we think, oh, yeah, but now the banana skin on. now, yeah, now we're <laughs> yeah. expected probably to go through. That for as a fan, it's more pressure than if we'd have drawn Barcelona or, God forbid, Liverpool again. You're kind of yeah. thinking, oh, well, if we beat Barcelona, we will then may go on and win it. I'm certainly more prepared for an unlucky defeat than I am for, you know, cruising through yeah. into the next round. I'm yeah. definitely, I definitely have the sort of old school pessimism. I was at the. You can't get rid of it. Can no, you, you can't. It's, it's, it's great. Absolutely. I was at the uh, FA Cup, was it quarter final against Spurs? Where it's we lost. 93. Yeah, there was a pitch invasion. I was, uh, I was there. Oh, weird. So was I. It was uh, one of the scariest days in my entire life. Yeah, the police horse came on the pitch and did <coughs> did a huge wee in the area. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember that vividly. I was I was about thirteen. And my dad in '93. You know, football going to football isn't as, as much as I I kind of miss the old days of football. It wasn't the safest place on earth. No. And um, my dad took me and my, my two brothers up, and um, and it just kicked off completely. I think we went four three two up or four two up. And um, yeah, going back through Moss Side towards Manchester Piccadilly, yeah. I still have vivid memories of it. It was it was uh, terrifying. Bit hairy. I thought we were gonna. That was it for me. It was like we've got. Oh, this is what a beautiful day. We're gonna go through. We're gonna go to Wembley. City are gonna win the FA Cup. I've heard we've done that in the past. It's gonna happen. It's, this is my <laughs> chance. This is my turn. And yeah, it was really. Oh wow! What if a o- feeling. If only you knew at the time what I you were know. about to witness. Exactly. Um, yeah. One final question, Flav, before we get some predictions. Um, I, I know City fans all the way through uh, the, this last fifteen minutes we've had you on the show have been have been willing me to ask this question. Um, so I mean, could just for the sake of balance for this season, could Hugo Lloris just do City a few favours after that error <laughs> at the weekend? He owes us one. Do you know he? Uh, it's, he's such a paradox. Um, because he get like like against Dortmund, he was our best player, and and he just I don't know for someone so experienced for a World Cup winger winner to to make the mistakes that he that he has done since 2016. Only Jordan Pickford's made more mistakes that have led to goals. I don't know. I don't know what 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 we can do to fix it. Really, he's a great keeper, almost too good to kind of take out. But we've got this young keeper Gazaniga who's come in and and, and done incredibly well when he has played. Although I don't. I'm, massively trust him it would be lovely not for your sake for my own sanity if we could just have a prolonged period of not messing up 
but in, in really key games that would be excellent if he could just leave it until after the three games against City though that will be it will be eternally grateful uh, right but then he's going to guarantee you at least one goal over those three games though right <laughs> oh fingers crossed right then uh, well with no, no winners on last week's show we're stuck on £828 for this season's charity bet with William Hill we've got a £10 correct score single each on each of City's games and with the money going to the Christie a cancer hospital in Manchester we're going to start with the FA Cup semi-final against Brighton Chris what are you having for that one 4-1 was my prediction for that. I know they don't concede many goals, but uh, they don't play us very often. 4-1 is uh, with gusto. Is 14 to 1, which is 140 pounds if you're right, Adam. 3-1. 3-1 a bit more conservative yeah. is uh, 11 to 1 and 110 pounds. I've gone for 2-0 and uh, that's uh, a, a meagre 4 to 1. So uh, so 40 quid uh, if I'm right. Flav, I'm going to give because I'm never right. I'm going to give my prediction for the Spurs game over to you. What are you having? Oh, uh, you're definitely going to be right at this either. But I'm Spurs 3-1. Uh, Spurs 3-1, well, uh, it's it's a massive 28-1 to 1 if you're right. So uh, 280 quid for charity if, uh, if you're right on that one, Adam. 2-1, City. 2-1 is uh, 7-1, to 1, so £70. Pounds. And Chris? I think it's going to be a bit of a humdinger. I'm going for 3-2. 3-2 is, uh, again, a massive 20 to 1. And to 200, City. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, 200 quid. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Flav, uh, thank you very much for uh, for being part of the show this week. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me as well, anytime. Coming up next, we've got Howard Hawking. Here he is. videos of footballs appearing on my Twitter timeline is really good news, and so it was with a certain Benjamin Mendy this week. News emerged via press conferences and other means that City's partially forgotten £50 million left-back had been partying in a Manchester nightclub until the early hours last Friday, prior to a training session on the Saturday, Mendy not part of the match squad for Fulham. It's fair to say that this did not go down well with City fans on social media, nor I suspect Pep Guardiola who kept tight-lipped on the matter, as you would expect when questioning said press conference. Is Benjamin Mendy fit for tomorrow? Um, yeah. He's fit. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're aware, but there's video footage of him uh, in a nightclub in Manchester at 3.30am on Saturday. I know he wasn't part of the squad going down to Fulham, no. but for a player recovering from injury, he's had persistent injuries. Are you happy with that, to see a player? They are all enough. They are all enough to know what they have to do. I'm not his father. But did he train on Saturday, Mendy? Yeah. So as his manager, are you happy for a player who's training? I would prefer to go sleep earlier, but I'm not. I'm not control the players of that situations. So. But I'm you prefer I'm if a, he wasn't in a nightclub at three thirty in the morning. He, he don't like, but I'm a relaxed guy. Maybe it don't looks like, but I sleep quite well. But you're 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 happy that he's committed to. Being I answered that question fully. Now, no one would really pay too much attention to such matters if Benjamin Mendy had been putting in world-class performances all season and was doing the business on the pitch. That's what us fans mostly care about. What they do off the pitch, therefore, is of little interest to me, as long as it remains legal, morally acceptable and does not affect performances. I mean, most of them struggle to address themselves, so I tend not to pay too much attention to their antics. Of course, Mendy has not been in a position to put in such performances. Mendy can't help being injured, and how he acts is irrelevant to getting him fit, unless those actions directly hamper his rehabilitation. It makes me uncomfortable to link the two, remind me of red-top newspapers accusing England players, usually Raheem Sterling, naturally, of laughing and joking just days after an England defeat. 
It's often a false dichotomy, the tedious claim that he should be concentrating on football or getting fit, as if there were not enough hours in the day to do more than one thing. However, there are strong arguments that his actions are hampering his rehabilitation. He may be cold sober in the nightclub, but he can't be getting much sleep if in training the following day. Sleep is vital, as important as diet. I've read a book on it, so it's definitely true. A body's rehabilitation, regeneration if you will, depends on adequate sleep. We've all worked on insufficient sleep, and footballers would be no different. But when the lack of sleep is due to your own actions, that rather changes the perspective. Mendy could sit up at home until 4am drinking water, and none of us would be any the wiser. But he didn't, he stayed out in public, surely aware that word would get out. He knows how Pep will view such actions, but did it anyway. And that's kind of the point for me, what I think is irrelevant in the scheme of things. I don't expect footballers to be hermits, but I do expect them to be professional and not put themselves in positions where they can be attacked in a world of social media, instant news and camera phones. But it's what Pep thinks that counts, and only that. And Pep Guardiola is not the sort of guy to brush this off. With many indications in the press, they had already become increasingly frustrated with the players' off-field actions this season. After all, the 24-year-old was the subject of disciplinary action earlier this season when he reported late for treatment after attending a high-profile boxing event the previous evening. Whilst he can't help being injured, having contributed little on the pitch since joining City, you'd think he'd tread very carefully and be extra keen to be seen to be working his hardest towards full fitness and not giving anyone a reason to have a go. If nothing else, it was stupid and naive whether it had any effect on his training or not. Now, I'm not particularly angry myself, let's not exaggerate a minorish incident. Just rather baffled at his stupidity and concerned that he's burning his bridges. After all, it's thought he would not be fined for his indiscretions, but then Pep has other ways of punishing players, and it was little surprise to see many out of the match day squad for the game against Cardiff. Anyway, get rid, said a swathe of City fans after the knees broke. But whatever your opinions on the matter, that's easier said than done. For an expensive player who has picked up a succession of serious injuries in recent years, he's not really that resellable right now, and probably not in the summer either. The best option might be a loan, which have little use to City if looking for something back from a £50 million signing. There is a caveat, however, to Mendy's actions. We must consider the terrible burden that serious injuries put on a player. Their lives revolve around playing football. It's everything to them, unless you're called Richard Wright. To not be able to play for long periods, especially at a new club, must have a huge psychological impact. For Mendy, a player always seemed to be happy and the joke of the pack, it may have been even harder to cope. This impact should not be discounted or underestimated, especially when you come back from injury and then get a new one. You could argue that this close to full fitness, he would therefore be even more focused at getting back on the pitch, but none of us can predict how someone else's mind works. It would be truly be sad if after all his bad luck he wastes the opportunities that may be coming his way. Because with Sinchenko's unfortunate injury against Cardiff, opportunity knocks as the team attempts to create history, an opportunity to be part of something quite special, something never done before. When looking at options for an alternative for Zinchenko, who Pepe expects to be out for a while, which essentially means the rest of the season, Mendy is the only actual left-back alternative. A £50 million signing supposedly fit and available to fill the position he was always supposed to. Alternatives include playing Danilo out of position at left-back or asking Laporte to fill in there. If Pep goes for either of those two options with a fit many available, that is rather damning. I can only idly speculate, of course, about what Pep is thinking about all of this. I hope he doesn't cut off his nose to spite his face. His frustration at many is understandable, but team picks from now on should be for the good of the side. 
Mendy's not killed anyone, not committed a criminal act, not done anything that demands to be drummed out of the club. Perspective is needed with a quadruple on the line. But Pep's success depends on discipline and attitude along with skill. He's not going to suffer fools gladly. Not that I'm calling Mendy a fool, of course. All we can hope is that this resolves itself quickly, because Mendy has suddenly become potentially a key component in the City squad and this club's destiny. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. and Carry on doing so. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. How we're talking there. We're now going to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter, through the website bluemoonpodcast.com on the emails, or you can get us on our brand new Instagram page. Uh, just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, first up is Alice Graves on the email. She asks, What are your hopes for the new Puma kit next season? Keep it simple. Less is more. I don't like go faster stripes, indented patterns, uh, you know, putting a badge on a big shield, embossments. That, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bit ready salted crisps on that. But <laughs> don't don't try and be clever, Puma. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't take take Umbro and not not Nike's weird times. Just. Give us a blue shirt. I was going to say that the, the kit that I always go back to is that oh nine ten home kit with Umbro. That was it was just a plain blue shirt, plain white sh- uh, plain white shorts, plain blue socks. Totally. Bang, job all, done. All Pine I, for Umbro. Yeah, all I see is Gareth Barry turning the midfield in that yeah. kit. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in terms of away kits, it's it's funny because you can't really get... It, it should be really easy to get a City away kit right, but there's so many different options. You can have, kind of like, all white, or you can have red and black stripes, or even purple in, in kind of certain areas. Or but a sash. Just, do or a sash, sash. yes. Yeah, a red and black sash, something like that. Give us black and red. But... It, um, I what, one thing I don't understand with these kit manufacturers, and I, I get that they want to make their mark and mm. be a bit out there, just... Just appease people. I think. Who are you appeasing though? Although, yeah, Who's it, buying the kits? Kids like neon, it would seem. Yeah. Uh, do like a good neon kit. Third, third kit. Appease us. Bright yellow. Boring. Appease us, boring. Just boring people, aren't we? Boring, middle aged, ready solid, crisp eating. Boring. Yeah. But we know that it's going to be it's going to be wacky. The away kits. They always yeah, yeah. are because they've got to stand out. Like, look what they were doing in the World Cup with all those kits. They were just trying to make. The, the weirder the better and they sold better because in cycles don't they? I mean we look back at the 90s now and go what on earth were people thinking what, what were you thinking like goalkeeper yeah. kits in the 90s mm. like, were you on drugs what, yeah. what, what they, was like some of the away kits sick in a kaleidoscope <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I'm expecting I'm expecting wacky things from Puma as long, do you know what I don't want I don't want one of those template kits that we seem yeah. to have been stuck with yeah that's totally unfair uh, to do that You'd, I mean any club at sort of this level has got you know, a proud history and deserves a little bit more individuality and you know thought and love going into the design of their kit, not just an identity kit. <laughs> you know, oh, this is a different shade with exactly the same. Well, Umbro did the B before it became like the Manchester thing again, didn't they? When they did the black and the oh, gold, yeah, the black and gold kit with the I B like with Adebayor and things like that. So just, just be, just be not sensitive. Be sensitive to the club and then just work from there. Just don't try and. Don't try and, and reinvent the wheel, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Guild the Lily. Right, well, that's it for this week's show. But if you'd like to relive some of the bad old days, this week's Patreon bonus show is all about the worst players we've seen in a city shirt, but some of the best things that they've done. That's available for those who support the show by $2 a month. That's about £1.50 in UK money. And there's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks to my two guests for this week, to Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much. And Adam Keyworth. Thanks for having me. I'm David Mooney, and I'll be back next week. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast